Seltzer Kings podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm sure you guys had something like that in England. You probably just called it something stupid like, I don't know, ye old ragbone and radio shop. Yes. The following podcast contains other truckers that hurt like a butt cheek on a stick. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you decided to build your own artificial girlfriend using parts from the discount bins at Radio Shack, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 375, a Tandy Company edition of the show, where we talk about the time all of us bought our computers from the company that once made assless leather chaps. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Baird's Battery Barn, where the batteries are. Are you in the market for a rare, hard-to-find battery or just looking for a great deal on a pack of D-cells? Then come on down to Baird's Battery Barn. We've got them all from quadruple A all the way up to 12-volt collar batteries. Lithium, alkaline, carbon zinc, silver oxide, zinc air, nick cadmium. It holds a charge. We have it here at Bort's Battery Barn. Atomic batteries, chromic acid, Clark cells, Daniel cells, mercury, magnesium, molten salt. One organic. We have earth batteries, lemon potato batteries, and dead frog batteries. That's right. We have dead frogs that provide a charge. No battery too small or too large. If it holds a charge, it's at Bort's Battery Barn. Uh-oh. Radio Shack. Here it is. The Tandy 1000 SL computer system. IBM PC compatible and sale price for under $9.99. Save $200. Comes complete with color monitor and built-in deskmate software. Word processing, graphics, worksheet. I've never seen one so easy to use. Greetings. Need directions back to your planet? This technology is more advanced than we thought. And we saved $200. Beam it up. Save $200 on the Tandy 1000 SL system. Less than $999 only at Radio Shack. If you happen to be a nerd in the 1970s or the 1980s, your universe revolved around two separate but unequal entities depending upon your specific brand of nerddom. They shared some similarities. I'm assuming no women. Natch. The first of these two milieus was, of course, the comic book shop. Geekiest nerd epithecus in his natural habitat. The comic book shop was kind of a catch-all for comic book nerds and Dungeons and Dragons nerds since most towns couldn't support a gaming store and a comic book store. Comic book nerds and D&D nerds did overlap a bit, meaning we both read comic books, but comic book nerds could quote chapter and verse of the Marvel and DC Universe while D&D nerds could give you the stats on Demogorgon and Orcus from memory. Also, we we looked at one another as somehow lesser on the social pecking order than we were comic book nerds thought D&D nerds lacked artistic expression and abilities, and D&D nerds thought of comic book nerds as dweeds that read books for kids, while we, the D&D players, were embracing myth and literature. Neither of us were uh, correct, since we were both a uh, bunch of goddamn nerds. The other nerdvana was for the kind of nerds that may or may not read comic books or play D&D, but the one thing they could definitely do that we couldn't They could write code in BASIC and had parents with enough money to buy them a hugely expensive box of wires and chips. And they 
can be found exclusively in one habitat, the local Radio Shack, where they did various nerd things like, uh, You belong to the Radio Shack Battery Club. In bigger cities, there were, of course, computer stores that specialized in the latest technology. But out in the hinterlands, where most of us lived, you had the local Radio Shack for all of your electronic nerd needs. The kind of nerd that dwelled at the Radio Shack was truly different from comic and gaming nerds because they were on the cutting edge of something new, while the rest of us were still utterly analog. They looked down on both of the other nerd classes as lefters because they believed one day their love of computers would change the world. Yep, called that one. They also assumed that someday their love of this strange electronic box would make them lots and lots of money, while no one outside of Stan Lee was ever going to get rich from having a box full of comic books, which again... No wrong. Although, to be honest, back in the 70s and 80s, even Stan Lee didn't think he was going to get rich off this comics game. If you are under 40, you know of Radio Shack as a place where you could buy a cell phone before cell phone companies open their own brick-and-mortar stores. Yeah. Howie, don't miss By the late 2000s, Radio Shack was a pale ghost of its former glory, subsisting entirely on cell phones and cheap consumer electronic sales in every strip mall in these here United States. Everyone stopped in the shack to buy their cell phones, be they Nokia 3310s, or the latest sleek silver Samsung flip phone. While you were in a Radio Shack getting your phone, maybe you picked up a battery for your grandfather's hearing aid, which was the other thing that Radio Shack was known for, the place for hard to find batteries. And now if you are thinking that this kind of hyper specialization was maybe a- Even more than was sustainable in any business model. You understand why there is no more Radio Shacks. But pod friends, once upon a time in the halcyon years of analog technology, Radio Shack was a mecca for everyone who worked with electronics of any kind, and there was a reason why they were everywhere before they weren't anywhere anymore. And in the early days of computing, you had legit street cred among the geek class if you were well known down at your local Radio Shack. Drop my name if it helps. It should at Radio Shack. And that's why I'm talking to you about Radio Shack this week. And also because this ought to be a quick, easy show to write and produce. It was. So to get this thing started, I guess I have to, uh... And I, I have to go back to the beginning. And that means I get to do all way back. Find your way back. Find your way back to a heart. Find your way back. Find your way back to a Oh, that's a hit of show nostalgia. I don't know if you people out there are doing a listen to the deep dives, and boy, you got a lot of fun coming from that one. From Wikipedia, quote, The company was started as Radio Shack in 1921 by two brothers, Theodore and Milton Deutschman, who wanted to provide equipment for the nascent field of amateur radio, also known as ham radio. The brothers opened a one-store retail and mail-order operation in the heart of downtown Boston at 46 Brattle Street. They chose the name Radio Shack, which was a term for a small wooden structure to house a ship's radio equipment. The Deutschmans thought the name was appropriate for a store that would supply the needs of radio operators aboard ships, as well as the hams. 
This term was already in use and is in use to this day by hams referring to the locations of their stations, unquote. Pod friends, the early days of radio were so much like the early days of computing. Hobbyists and amateurs took over the technology earlier and drove a consumer market that for a short while vastly overshadowed the corporate one. Amateur ham radios, or hams as they like to be called, nothing to do with the sandwiches, although if you've ever seen a ham radio operator, you know they've consumed quite a few sandwiches in their days. They built their own radios and receivers, and stores like Radio Shack and the Mariloader catalogs built their businesses providing materials they needed to construct their sets. And pretty damn soon, the ham or amateur radio operators spread around the world. Ham radio operators from New York to Japan. There's still an active, if much reduced, ham radio community out there today, many of which are not using it because they're pretty sure the world is going to end tomorrow. Most ham operators don't think the apocalypse is due for at least a couple of weeks or so. As the commercial market rose, it quickly overshadowed the ham radio market. Don't be mad at capitalism. Capitalism loves you. As the primary drivers of sales down at the shack. And yeah, Radio Shack would go on for years to be the ham equipment go-to. But pretty soon, it was a consumer electronics retailer and manufacturer. In 1954, Radio Shack began selling their own line of radios and radio equipment, including high-fidelity stereos capable of pumping out high-fidelity sound under the brand name Realistic. Unfortunately for Radio Shack, it was also commonly disparagingly referred to by its customers as Nagasaki Hardware. Yeah, uh, that's a little racist. As much of the merchandise was sourced from Japan, and in those days it was perceived as low-quality, inexpensive parts. So Radio Shack was pretty much bankrupt by 1962. And that is where the name that you know, but don't know why you know, comes in. A candy company. Charles David Tandy, born in Brownsville, Texas in 1918 to wealthy parents, was an extremely unlikely tech mogul. And make no mistake, he was as much a tech mogul as Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. While serving as a supply officer in the Navy during World War II, he observed sailors being taught knitting and needlepoint as part of their recuperation therapy from injuries. And Charles thought to himself, I'm and racked his brain to think of what kind of craft would shout masculinity, and that's when it hit him. Dad likes leather. Something that says, leather daddy? And soon enough, he had hospitalized soldiers and sailors doing leather crafting. Like assless chaps? After the war, he established Handicraft, a mail-order leatherworking company supply business that became a major part of his family business and soon went on to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Quoting now from Encyclopedia.com, quote, As good as business as it was, it couldn't satisfy Tandy's passion for retailing. By the early 1960s, he began looking for a way to diversify. In 1963, Tandy purchased Radio Shack, a virtually bankrupt chain of electronic stores in Boston. Within two years, Tandy was making a profit on the company that had nearly $800,000 in uncollectible debt when he took over. Ten years after that, starting with nine Boston outlets, the Tandy Corporation was opening two Radio Shack stores every working day. By 1988, there were over 7,000 Radio Shack stores. According to Tandy estimates, one out of every three Americans is now a Tandy customer, unquote. At the time of Charles Tandy's death in 1978, 
The Tandy Company owned Radio Shack along with Marabee, an embroidery supply company. Tandy Electronics, making consumer electronics another realistic brand. Tandy Stores, basically an international version of Radio Shack. Color Tile Flooring, the Copper Craft Guild, making copper knickknacks. And in 1977, the year before his death, Tandy Computers. Charles Tandy didn't know shit about computers or electronics. He wasn't an inventor or an innovator or even a hobbyist who liked to dabble in them. By his own admission, he was a Texas good old boy and a salesman who got a kick out of selling. What Tandy understood was that most elemental aspect of capitalism, which was to find a market with money in its pockets and then sell shit to them. Most importantly, get there first. Or if you can't get there first, get their cheapest. Tandy Corporation told investors in 1975 as quoted from financialpost.com, quote, we're not looking for a guy who wants to spend his entire paycheck on a sound system, according to Irvin Farman's account in Tandy's Money Machine. How Charles Tandy built Radio Shack into the world's, ele world's largest electronics chain. Instead, the companies went after customers looking to save money by buying cheaper goods and improving them through modifications and accessorizing. The target audience was people who needed one small piece of equipment every week, unquote. And that shit worked. The Tandy Company made Tandy a millionaire, and when he died at the age of 60 from a heart attack, he was still it was still expanding under his guidance, and many wondered if it could survive the death of its founder. Enter a dude by the name of John Roach, and he would make Tandy into a computer giant of the early days of computing. Again, from encyclopedia.com, quote, Roach's major contribution had been mastermind Tandy's entry into the computer market. Before Charles Tandy's death, Roach had talked him into venturing into the pre-assembled computer market. The sale of 100,000 computers between September 1st, 1977 and June 1st, 1979 kept Radio Shack comfortably in the black even as the bottom dropped out of the Citizens Band radio market. As Roach moved up the corporate structure, he intensified investment in computers. In 1982, less than a year after becoming CEO, Roach was singled out as the best of the best by Financial World, which lauded Roach as the driving force of the front-running company in the red-hot computer race, unquote. Oh, yeah. Completed your Radio Shack. I think I've mentioned before that they were at the forefront of the CB craze of the 1970s. The plug? Of course. The plug. And if you'd like to know all about that, see episode number 340. We are wall-to-wall -wall and treetop tall, all about the time that America was talking on CBs. Now, there are plenty of places that you can learn the history of personal computing, and the detour it would take for me to deep dive into it would be a five-part series that I'm not at all interested in doing. So I'm going to keep it super short and super tight. In 1977, the first two home computers hit the market. They were the Altair 8800 and the Tandy TRS-80. There were other players out there, including a couple of little dudes named Steve that was working in a garage in California. Aaron. Apple. Right. Apple. Peach. Apple. Antelope. Apple. Honeydew. Apple. Lemon Making computers from parts that they bought partially from Radio Shack. Tandy's first home machine was the TRS-80. ThePeople'sHistory.com describes the TRS-80 thusly. Quote, The Tandy Corporation was one of the leading computer technologies of the companies of the 1970s. 
Their most popular item, the TRS-80, arrived on the market in the late 1970s and was immediately popular. People waited for the release of this product that was exclusively sold at Radio Shack. For only $600, many everyday people could afford to have a personal computer in their home. In fact, over 10,000 units were sold within the first month of the TRS-80 being on the market. Within this first year, over 55,000 consumers bought the Tandy TRS-80 to use in their home or office, and over 250,000 were sold in the next few years. In 1981, the TRS-80 was discontinued to make way for the upgraded and more popular brands and models. Tandy Corporate's TRS-80 had a keyboard and motherboard all-in-one. This became a common trend that other companies would use for their personal computer products. Normal cassette tapes were used to store data, and the monitor was a white-on-black display that showed mostly capital letters. For an extra price, TRS-80 owners could upgrade or get a separate floppy disk drive, which provided even more storage. It was popular in many homes because it offered software that people could use for playing Pac-Man, Centipede, Galaxian, and other popular video games of the era. The TRS-80 also included office applications, including a word processor, calculator, and early spreadsheet capabilities, unquote. And so, for the first time in history, regular-ass people, well, regular-ass people who could afford the equivalent of $3,000 in today's money, could do things digitally on a slow-ass machine that crashed all the fucking time, which analog technology could do better and faster. Oh, man, this was the real reason they bought it. They could play a low-resolution video game on a monochrome monitor that kind of looked like an arcade if you were colorblind and crossed your eyes and squinted. Keep in mind... We had Ataris that we could play games on that looked a lot more like the arcade than anything on a TRS-80, but they all wanted to play them on a computer. Time Magazine said, quote, It was just a month after the TRS-80's release that Time touted the new breed of cheap computers that were attracting new buyers. Of these computers, Tandy's was the one most attractive to buyers. Someday soon, every home will have a computer. Byron Kirkwood, a Dallas microcomputer retailer, was quoted as saying, It will be as standard as the toilet. The Fort Worth-based Tandy Corp has the broadest reach of any computer manufacturer through its 8,012 Radio Shack stores. The firm introduces first small computer, the TRS-80, in 1977, and newer versions of the TRS-80, popular models now cost $999, has become the largest selling computer of all time, and Tandy now commands 40% of the small computer market. Tandy recently introduced the first pocket computer, which shows only one line of information and sells for $249, unquote. Yes, fraud friends, that is the precursor of your iPhone. Cybernews.com wrote of the TRS-80, quote, Though successful, the TRS-80 was not perfect, earning the crude nickname Trash-80. Frequent software glitches, radio interference disrupting nearby electronics, lack of lowercase symbols, and other tight budget-induced problems did not allow Tandy to market their products to business clients, unquote. To put it charitably, the Trash 80 lived up to its name. Look, pod friends, early computers were not, uh, they weren't, uh, not exactly impressive. Now, I began to notice them in the early 1980s when they started first started popping up in schools for the first time. Though, trust me, no kid was allowed to touch that fucking thing. The first time I saw a computer at home was at a friend's house somewhere in the mid-1980s when I was ushered into my buddy's bedroom and shown is Commodore 64, which is not a euphemism for his penis. When I asked what it was, 
he got this he got this misty far away look in his eyes and he told me it was a the computer it's a computer and then i asked what i thought was a common sense question what does it do and with that same glassy far away look in his eyes he told me that he could write a program that made the word fart scroll constantly across the screen which i admit was pretty funny but I didn't see a practical application for that at the time. Then he told me he could play video games on it. And I said, wow, like on an Atari. And he said, uh... not exactly. So you see, to play this game, he had to uh, type commands into the computer using the keyboard and the computer would tell him what happened next. Now, I spent my days doing much the same thing, but with dice and graph paper, and my character wasn't limited to saying go north or open door or attack goblin. I could shout things like we charge boldly down the hallway to the north, swords in hand, shouting our war cries and slam the door open to slay the goblin. Which I have to admit is a lot more exciting than packing drink potion onto a keyboard while the disk drive grinds away. And that was what home computers were for like two decades. These days, we're used to exponential, exponential leaps in graphics, but until the mid-1990s, it was all 8-bit animations and side-scrolling 2D graphics. And that was pretty much the name of any game. The utility of work applications improved to the point where I was using a word processing program by the late 80s on a daily basis and a, da a data entry on a regular, and that was much preferable to doing typewriters or, God forbid, handwritings. And so for the most part, home computing was the domain of geeky programmers and Radio Shack Battery of the Month Club members, largely because you needed to know a programming language to do anything. Even DOS, the IBM operating system, rapidly becoming the standard, was cryptic and demanding, and the average person just couldn't be bothered to learn to speak computers, but all of that was about to change. As I mentioned earlier, IBMs had become the standard computer language, and instead of limiting that language to their own exclusive hardware, IBM licensed it, and now anyone with a manufacturing capability to, to make them a computer could slap together a computer, install DOS, and it would run. The IBM PC-compatible computer with universal OS and software began to eat up Tandy's market share really fucking quick. Going back to cybernews.com, quote, by the mid-1980s, Tandy had released the fourth iteration of the original TRS-80, the Model 100, the Model 100 laptops, and a series of pocket computers marketed by none other than master of sci-fi Isaac Asimov himself. By 1984, computers accounted for 35% of Tandy sales, and the company had 500 Tandy Radio Shack computer centers. Managers at Tandy were not blind to new market trends. In 1984, Tandy released the Tandy 1000, the first fully IBM PC-compatible home computer system. The 1000, born out of the previous failure of when the Tandy 2000, a semi-IBM PC-compatible machine, was released to little interest from the public and tech enthusiasts. From 1984 until 1986, the global PC market stalled, in no small part due to the video game crash of 1983 and the economic woes in the United States. By 1987, Tandy's share of the PC market dropped to 5%. Even though Radio Shack was still selling the TRS-80 Model 4 and the Coco line, it became clear that 8-bit computers were a thing of the past. Unlike virtually every other competitor, Tandy sold their computers almost exclusively via Radio Shack stores. Meanwhile, Apple, IBM, and Compaq and other market leaders accepted orders via mail and sold their computers in superstores, something Radio Shack got a hold of 
only in 1991, unquote. Look, the home computer market crashed in the mid-1980s and didn't start to return in any meaningful way until the mid-1990s when this new thing began to percolate through the zeitgeist about some sort of highway with some sort of information on it. And there was a big buzzword that on this, uh, I don't know, let's call it an information superhighway, you could do things like... Uh, you could check porn and stock quotes. And people began to take an interest in computers again. Additionally, a little company called Microsoft had developed, or, uh... Let's say he stole it. Oh, he stole it! An operating system that made using a computer easy, some may say intuitive, and home computers were back, baby. But by that time, Tandy Company was in a bit of a pickle. Radio Shacks were still the largest consumer electronics retailer in the world, according to Radio Shack, anyway. But decades of expansion in diverse other areas of retail and manufacturing had left the Tandy Company fractured and unfocused on retail. In 2000, Radio Shack dumped the Tandy name and began focusing on cell phones, which, like the CB radios of the 70s, were becoming the next big thing. It was a solid bet at the time, and wireless sales kept the brand afloat for most of the decade. But then in 2008, that little company that... Uh, kind of fell behind Radio Shack when they launched the TRS-80, went and did something that upset Radio Shack's Apple cart. An iPod. <laughs> a phone. <laughs> are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone. And you couldn't get an iPhone at the Radio Shack. They also couldn't compete with e-commerce sites, and a series of management fuck-ups kept Meyer and the company deeper in debt. So by 2015, Radio Shack filed for bankruptcy. Last of their stores closed, and a cornerstone of the early tech industry became a ghost brand, existing in trademark, but not in the real world. Someday, somebody will probably do a nostalgia-branded comeback, and the Radio Shack Twitter feed has become one of those cutesy little dead brand feeds. Funny, but not doing anything other than maybe peddling a little crypto sometime. So maybe the Shack will come back, but we will never, ever have a Tandy company again. And you know what? It's going to sound strange because I don't, I'm not a big fan of capitalism, but I miss a world where Radio Shacks were a thing. I mean... Hey, Bob from Stranger Things, Bob the Brains, he was the epitome of the Radio Shack nerd who did what a lot of nerdy kids in small towns did. They became the manager of a Radio Shack and had a good, solid, middle-class lifestyle. And Tandy Computers introduced a generation of kids to computers and technology and put them on the road to creating the world we have today where computers are in our pockets for better and for worse. I mean, hey, easy directions in the palm of my hand, good. Instant communications enabling the downfall of the democracy? Yeah, not so hot. And I'll say this much. If there were a real Radio Shack around today, not their cell phone stores of their waning years, I'd shop there. It'd be fucking nice to be able to run down the block and get a fucking audio cable or a keyboard because I just poured my glass of Jameson drunkenly all over it in just a few minutes instead of having to fucking wait a day for something from Amazon. I mean, or, or, what are your other options? Go, go to Best Buy? <laughs> if you tried to find any kind of fucking cable at a goddamn 
Best Buy where their only option is that some jackass is going to show you some $60 gold tip piece of shit. Fuck you, Kevin. I'm looking for an RCA to mini. And if, if you need a battery that isn't a double A, you are just fucked. I guess grandpa won't be able to hear out of that ear until Amazon gets in here tomorrow. And most of all, when the apocalypse comes, how the fuck am I supposed to get the stuff I need to make my ham radio if there's not a fucking Radio Shack to loot? I don't think Kevin Coster is going to be dropping off my prime delivery of crystals and diodes in my door. I guess what I'm really trying to say is... Uh, Maybe if I'd have been a member of the Battery of the Month Club at Radio Shack, I wouldn't be doing a low-rated podcast and uh, might have a fucking Tesla or a Lamborghini or a girlfriend. I, I don't know. It just seems like their lives turned out better than mine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Oops! The Podcast, join me, comedian Giulio Gallarotti, as I examine everyday life, the mistakes, the bad decisions, the goals, the jokes, the social engagements, and all things in between. I'm joined every week by producer and personal confidant, Ryan Lynch, various other comedians for witty, candid, and intoxicating conversation. Our listeners love Oops! for sophisticated banter, aka your mom could listen, and many feel like they're in the room with us chopping it up with old pals. You can find every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That is it for the show this week. I'm sorry this episode could never quite make up his mind whether it's about computers or the Radio Shack stores, which I guess is fair because the Can Tandy Company could never quite make that distinction either. I guess the Shack wasn't the only place that was unable to focus on just one thing and do that. Speaking of not being able to concentrate, rate and review the show so people can check us out and not be able to concentrate on anything other than why you would do something like suggest they listen to this terrible show. If you want to kick us a buck to keep us in gold tip audio cables, head over to patreon.com slash what the hell podcast. And you should definitely do all the things that Jeremy tells you to do in the closing. Otherwise, he will be forced to shut down the TRS-80 that powers the show's RSS feed and then no one will have a podcast at all. And so for me, Dave, if you see a faded sign at the side of the road that says 15 miles to the Radio Shack, Bledsoe, producer, I've got me a Chrysler that seats about 20. And that's an abomination due to climate change. Gavin and all the fictional Radio Shack managers on the show, we want to say the, uh, the Radio Shack is a little old place that we could get together and, and talk about batteries. I don't know. I, I was never allowed in a Radio Shack. We'll see you all next week. Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. Shows produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. 
You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Lesbian Seagull. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.